2: Welcome to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and managing editor of the Business of Government magazine. For over 15 years, the IBM Center for the Business of Government has sought to connect research to practice, sponsoring third-party independent research on a broad range of public management issues facing us today. In the midst of tightening budgets, many federal agencies are being asked to deliver innovative solutions to their operational and strategic problems one way to address this dilemma is to participate in open innovation. A recent IBM Center report, Making Open Innovation Ecosystems Work, Case Studies in Healthcare, by Donald Wynn, Renee Pratt, and Randy Bradley, explored two aspects of open innovation. One, adopting external ideas from private firms, universities, and individuals into the agency's innovation practices. And two, pushing innovations developed internally to the public by reaching out to external channels. To illustrate how open innovation can work, the authors employ the concept of the technological ecosystem to demonstrate that fostering innovations cannot be done alone. What is open innovation within a technological ecosystem? How can open innovation ecosystems help government leaders find new ways to improve services? What managerial challenges does open innovation bring? And what are some of the best ways to capitalize on open innovation? Today, I'll explore these questions and so much more with Donald Wynn and Renee Pratt, authors of the IBM Center Report, Making Open Innovation Ecosystems Work, Case Studies in Healthcare. Donald in the studio, welcome. It's great to have you. Thanks. It's good to be here. And Renee, joining us via Skype, welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, Donald and Renee, in the midst of tightening federal budgets, uh, many government agencies are being asked to deliver innovative solutions to operational and strategic problems. And one way to address this dilemma is to participate in open innovation through technological ecosystems. What is open innovation, and how has this concept proved successful in the private sector?
1: Well, traditionally, uh, innovation is usually done in more of a closed manner, where you typically, if you're an organization, you want to control every part of it. You want to control the inputs, the process. You want to control the outputs. You're trying to manage every piece of it in-house. And it's fine for organizations that have ample access to skills and ideas and resources and everything else, but those are rare. Uh, That doesn't happen as often. So open innovation turns this on its head. It sort of invites and embraces ideas and knowledge from outside the boundaries so that you can bring new products and services into the organization from outside, which is important for government agencies because a lot of them simply don't have access to the state of the art. So you can take ideas from outside in the public sector and bring them inside the agency, or we can take those things that we have done inside an agency and move them out into the public marketplace or the the marketplace in general, where they're able to get compliments and uh, complimentary services and things to help support and create more value around the product. So that's what open innovation does. And in in practice, in the private sector where it started, um, with a an author Henry Chesborough, wrote a book called Open Innovation several years back, It's probably about ten, twelve years now. Within his book, there were a number of examples, but GE has been among the the leaders in trying to make sure that we've had open innovation projects um, that they've been able to work on to do things such as improve the quality of their aircraft engines and uh, some environmental processes that they've done to bring ideas and people in from outside GE. and. Uh, put those ideas into some of GE's products and services. There's a number of other organizations. Coke has done it a little bit. Apple's done it quite a bit. So those are just some of the areas in which uh, open innovation has been successful in recent years.
2: Yeah, and so the definition that you folks outline in your report highlights two approaches uh, by which agencies can benefit
1: from adopting open uh, innovation practices. Uh, could you just elaborate on those two approaches? Sure. The two approaches for open innovation are, That you can, as we said, bring things from outside the organization in. Mm -hmm. So we take things that exist outside the boundaries of the agency or of the organization in general and see if we can find ways to integrate that with what we're already doing. Maybe we're doing things pretty well, but just having access to that next 10% of whatever is outside makes things even better. Uh, So that's one way. And the other idea is to take the things that we have done inside. Agencies do produce some good stuff obviously. Uh, most organizations have some products that they're able to produce, but maybe they're having a problem getting them to market or having a problem using them inside as effectively. So we take some things that exist outside and bring them in uh, to aid in part of our innovation processes and thus making it even better, thus improving the, the value of the products for what we use and for uh, even for what some people outside the agency may be able to use. hmm So when you bring
2: something in or let something go, uh, under the auspices of open invita- uh, open innovation. There are management challenges. What are those three management challenges?
0: There, the three management challenges actually highlight a number of aspects in which you'll hear about the five, throughout the five key elements. Uh, the first one really is about motivating administrators and employees to contribute um, internally developed intellectual property to, to those who are outside and, and really getting them to share um, and, and feel comfortable within that realm. So a lot of ways you can do this is through some sort of incentivizing employee participation or um, marketing some of your costs and benefits with the, with the new changes so that that really assists in that process. Uh, the second challenge is all more so about identifying and accessing or promising ideas from the outside. So how do we go about um, looking at these other, uh, implementing different programs and channels to identify new ideas? Um, so really trying to, to see, can we use things that that are from that are coming from the outside internally and the third challenge is really focusing on developing the capability to incorporate their external ideas so how do we increase the value of result of the resulting innovations developed within the agency and then are there ways that we can kind of decrease some of those costs of research and development um, so that this can actually happen it can be brought in uh, into the organization and able to function and, and be successful in that manner
2: So, yeah, what I wanted – what I've been doing is trying to understand open innovation. I want to understand some of the challenges associated with it. Um, But there's another concept you folks uh, talk about, and that is uh,
1: a technological ecosystem. What exactly is a technological ecosystem? A technological ecosystem is a a metaphor back to the same concept of an ecosystem in biology, where ecologists look at something like a lake or a forest, and they stop and examine what happens within that forest to sustain the life within it. Uh, So we look at what comes in, you know, even things such as sunlight, rain, different animals, parasites, all of this other, uh, all these other living and non-living elements, and find out how it impacts the living creatures in there. And there's just a certain flow of resources and energy and materials among the living creatures and even the non-living ones that lets you understand exactly what's going on. As a metaphor in a technological ecosystem, we look at the transfer of uh, three things, information, resources, and various technologies. Um, And we look at how those things flow among the individuals and organizations. So if we look at how we're trying to set up open innovation, it is how does the information, the resources, and technologies flow among the different parts of this ecosystem or the different people that will be involved in the innovation process? And how does that impact, A, whether they stay, whether they join, whether they stay, whether they contribute, what the results are? It allows us to look at um, more of the functioning of this innovation process or this technological ecosystem uh, as a whole. So, Donald, what are the
2: five key elements to managing an organization's ecosystem? And would you elaborate on each one of those?
1: Sure. First off, we when we are saying the elements, these are the things that are inputs to the ecosystem. Um, and it's necessary in some way to manage those or combine them and make sure they're integrated in order to make sure that we get some sort of a synergy out of it, with synergy being obviously that we get... Um, more out of it in combination than if we just sum the individual benefits uh, alone. And if we can take all of this stuff and combine it correctly, we should get some synergistic effect out of it, hopefully making some value for being in the ecosystem in the first place. Uh, So there's five elements. First one is just the plain resources, which would be the things that we normally expect when we think of this type of thing. We're talking about money and social connections. And uh, in this case, we're talking a lot of skills and expertise. Uh, So those are things that we combine, obviously, first off. Second off, we just talk about the characteristics of the participants themselves. How heterogeneous are they or how diverse? It helps if we have a diverse set of participants just because we get a a different range of ideas. If everybody thinks the same, everybody is the same, then you really don't tend to get as much out of it as opposed to uh, getting a wider range of people or more diverse uh, set of participants. Uh, The opposite of that is really just closed innovation all over again. Uh, and then we have to look at the level of commitment, making sure everyone is involved and engaged in the process because engaged participants tend to put more in and they have, you know, more skin in the game. So they, they care. They actually tend to, you know, actually try a little harder. Uh, then there's the relationships among the participants, not just the direct relationship itself, but things such as trust. I mean, I may have a relationship with you, but if I don't trust you, again, we don't tend to work as well together. So it it has a lot to do with the strength of the relationship, not just the fact that there is one. Fourth input is the organization of the ecosystem as a whole. Again, thinking not just on the structure, but things such as management. How do we manage and combine resources? How do we govern and make decisions and deal with conflicts and things of this sort? And who's taking the leadership role? And how do we govern all of this stuff accordingly? Uh, And then the external element plays a huge part of it. We really like to try to ignore it sometimes with things like public policy and uh, organizational policies and even industry conditions really matter. Uh, When we're trying to look at those, and obviously we can't necessarily change those, but we certainly can change the way we adapt to them and the way we, uh, again, influence and and, uh, interface with these policies to uh, manage the rest of the resources. So we take all of those and try to combine them in such a way as to get some sort of a positive effect out Mm -hmm. of it. So your report uh, for the IBM Center
2: offers two case studies uh, that discuss a particular type of healthcare information technology, an electronic health record. Again, under the the direction of getting the concepts uh, and understanding them, what is an EHR?
0: So an EHR um, or electronic health record system, as uh, many also refer to it, um is actually it's it's a version of a enterprise system. And so an enterprise system is more or less this large process-oriented software application, and it assists the organization by helping to manage different areas throughout the organization. And so it it manages your um, accounting and control and HR, sales order, um, and so forth. So all the different areas within the organization. And so what an electronic health uh, or EHR uh, does is actually focusing on computerized medical information systems. So how to collect, store, and display some of this patient clinical information, as well as enable us to eventually start to do some other things expanding into other areas um, to understand how the facility works and functions and shares information. And so as we're moving in this vast array of, of actually trying to have electronic healthcare and share information no matter where you are in the world, Uh, We need a system that's going to help this process. And so the EHR really is a way in which you can manage and share information, um, not only within the facility, but eventually beyond that. And so you'll hear terminologies like, and we'll probably mention it at some point, but interoperability and being able to share that across um, different venues. But bottom line, it's multiple applications and modules within a large software application um, that can be delivered developed by a single vendor or even multiple vendors for that matter.
2: Yeah, and as a follow-up, open source software, according to your report, has been described as a particular manifestation of open innovation based on two elements. And I found those two
1: elements really interesting. Would you elaborate on them? Yeah, yeah the two things we talk about in the report are the fact that it includes, uh, the open source includes collaborative development because we have uh, a number of people that combine and collaborate to help develop the software um, in place. And uh, that's typically one of the mainstays of open source. Uh, in a traditional closed source model, you normally have people that work for a given organization that develops software. In open source, they work for lots of different places. You can even have people that join voluntarily, in some cases, with a with no tie whatsoever to the organization that just decide that, you know, I know how to help provide you know this, this type of code for this application. So I'll add my skill to this process. So we have that, which very much is a part of open innovation. Uh, the second thing is that we have shared rights for everybody to use it, which, again, is one of the key parts of open source is that everybody has access to the source code. Whether you contribute it or not, you have access to this source code, you have access to the fruits of everyone's labor to some degree. And, again, this is open innovation where everyone that is part of the innovation process shares in the benefit of being part of this process, sort of the the concept of a rising tide lifts all boats, that everybody gets access to it, everybody gets to use and benefit from the innovation in some way. And both of those are parts of both open source and uh, and of open innovation as well.
2: And and I found in your report very interesting. Based on your research, um, you identify another two ways that government agencies uh, can possibly
1: capitalize on the available benefits of open innovation. Could you detail us? Yeah, see, those are actually very similar to some of the things that we had talked about before with respect to two parts of open innovation, uh, two ways you can deal with it. So for for government agencies that already have existing technologies that they've used for internal purposes, open innovation allows us to take these things from inside, outside the organization, to capitalize on some other technologies that may exist that can be Uh, integrated with it to provide an an enhanced product. Or maybe we can find some things that would not not just enhance it, but just would replace some of the parts that we don't think we did very well inside. So we have some things that we can do that may actually uh, improve things overall. Or we just uh, package some services around the product that we've developed that, again, allow us to do some things that we're not, thus enhancing the legitimacy and functionality of it. Um, We've got some of that out of the VA Uh, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. The other strategy is, in some cases, there is already an ecosystem that exists around a given product that's already outside. Mm -hmm. And maybe by joining in with that and contributing some of our resources to what is already existing, we can take advantage of some of the benefits of that ecosystem in general. Remember, the rising tide lifts all boats. We can put ourselves in the tide as well, and we can get some of the benefits from that. Uh, Again, by joining something that's already there, we don't have to bother creating it Maybe we don't have anything inside but just some of the resources, and we need to uh, contribute those and see what we can get in return. That's great. So we've mentioned the case studies.
2: You mentioned VA. Uh, There's another case study in uh, West Virginia. Would you tell us why you chose both the VA electronic health record, um, VISTA, and the West Virginia case studies?
0: There are a number of reasons that we we looked at these and I'll, I'll say it first off being researchers being in academia a lot of times uh, a lot sometimes it's accessibility right and so having some existing contacts and being able to actually um examine and look at them was definitely one one of the reasons why it was um they were interested they were interested we were interested in them um but Further beyond that, we started noticing as we've been examining a number of facilities across the US and even beyond that, that there were some certain patterns that we were seeing. And um, so we started developing a framework and examining and looking at areas in which how these sorts of resources and characteristics were showing up and appearing in the implementation of open innovation. Uh, so that was really where we kind of said, you know, these these two in particular. Cases actually demonstrate both of our approaches of going from internal to external, as well as external to internal, and, and do a fairly good job of highlighting many of the items that we found within our framework.
2: How do technological ecosystems work and help government leaders find new ways to improve services? We will explore this question and so much more when our special edition of the Business of Government Hour, A Conversation with Authors, returns. How can DOD improve its acquisition processes? Check out the latest IBM Center report, Eight Actions to Improve Defense Acquisition. The authors emphasize the urgency of acquisition reform in DOD, given budgetary constraints and security challenges, finding that DOD will need to gain every possible efficiency while resisting the temptation to buy defense on the cheap. This report continues the IBM Center's interest in better understanding and improving the federal government acquisition process. Download your free copy at businessofgovernment.org. Government leaders and managers face major challenges today, including fiscal austerity, citizen expectation, the pace of technology and innovation, and a new role for governance. These challenges influence how government executives lead today, but more importantly, how they can be prepared for tomorrow. The IBM Center report, Six Trends Driving Change in Government offers a path forward for government executives responding to the ever-increasing complexity and challenges they face today. Download your free copy at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors exploring ideas for improving government effectiveness with Donald Wynn and Renee Pratt, authors of the IBM Center Report, Making Open Innovation Ecosystems Work, Case Studies in Healthcare. So in this segment, I'd like to talk about, um, as I mentioned earlier and you pointed out, you have two case studies uh, to illustrate the the purpose of your report. And I'd like to talk, touch on the first one, which is the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs and the Open Source Electronic Health Record Alliance. So could you give us some background and context as to the case study? What is VISTA and what is the Open Source Electronic Health Record Alliance? And maybe give us an overview of the VISTA ecosystem.
1: Sure. Um, back in the late 70s, there were a number of facilities that had software within the various VA uh, hospitals. Um, it was very much a mini-computer mainframe-type environment, but a lot of the things that they were developing weren't necessarily being shared um, amongst everyone. They would have individual developers working on certain pieces, but somehow word began to trickle out that, you know, so-and-so in this department had developed or this this site had developed a piece of software to managed clinical processes or they had done something else in another facility, so they started to combine them. Uh, and they were starting to see some real traction and get some benefit out of those, but uh, the leadership decided that, they didn't necessarily want everyone spending their time to work on that. Sort of done under wraps for a while uh, by a group of people that called themselves the hard hats. So what had happened in 1982, a lot of these applications were integrated into something called the DHCP or the Decentralized Hospital Computer Program platform. And since so 1996, this evolved into VISTA. So uh, long story combined, they had a number of enhancements that they combined into one integrated patient record. It was one EHR, and it's still in use to this day, Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's been touted as being one of the most well-designed, well-integrated electronic health records applications uh, anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's a little dated in some spots. It doesn't necessarily have a lot of the bells and whistles that a lot of the newer ones have had. So the VA decided that they really wanted to try to modernize it. But again, looking outside the VA, you could see that there were a number of these things that had already been done. Uh, one thing about Vista, which is what the software became, one of the things that happened with it is that the core software, being taxpayer-funded, was available for uh, for free. So you could go and get a version of it stripped down to some things that would be proprietary to the VA. Anyone can go get a copy. Any one of us can go and download a copy of the software to this day. And there were a number of companies that were downloading the software and modifying it for deployment in private hospitals and other facilities. So... The VA decided we should be able to work with some of these things to push back into ours. But there were some challenges with the interfacing and how to deal with a lot of that. So they came up with a plan to include, uh, to develop a new organization or a custodial agent, which was a a central body to manage most of the open source activities for this Vista Code. And that was uh, the OSERA, or Open Source Electronic Health Records Alliance. And they do things such as accepting code, rejecting code. They initiate projects, and they try to facilitate the flow of a lot of these ideas and a lot of the source code between the vendors and between the VA and and, uh, anyone that happens to be connected with that. So that's a little bit of the background. Um, At this point, what we see is that Vista as an ecosystem includes uh, several pieces, not just the VA, which is uh, the dominant party, of course. But we also have a number of other government agencies like the Indian Health Service uh, deploys a version of this software. Um, There's several agencies that do. There's a number of governments in other countries that use various versions of the software like Jordan has a version that they're using. In addition, there's a number of private facilities, um, private vendors such as MedSphere and DSS that actually use versions of Vista that they've adapted and added modules on top of for their clients. So this is a, it's a pretty robust ecosystem at this point in that we have a lot of people, not just the folks at the VA, but we have people in other agencies, other organizations that are actively involved in trying to improve the VISTA code and make it do things that it wasn't necessarily originally designed to do.
2: Yeah, so in your report uh, for the center, you evaluate the VISTA ecosystem based on the 5 key elements we discussed earlier. Uh, Would you give us an
1: overview of this evaluation and some of the key findings drawn from it? Well, one of the things that we do, we probably would – we will be well-served to go ahead and look at just the individual ones. So, if I look at – so, if we look at resources, um, there's a lot of resources that were available, as we said, within this VISTA ecosystem. Um, The VA has approximately 1,300 developers that are VA-employed or contracted just to work on the VA code. They have a tremendous amount of expertise uh, and a lot of things that they know about this VISTA code. But there's also a large number of people that are outside the agency. Some used to be part of the VA. Now they work for various government agencies or various state organizations. They work for a number of places, and they continue to work on it as well. And they are building implementations for it uh, on, on a daily basis. So that's one set of resources. There's obviously... Uh, some funding issues because the OSEAR has, you know, has to have funding to survive, and I think the VA put up a a certain amount for that. Um, DSS has spent approximately six million dollars um, to develop a number of enhancements to their version of of the software VX Vista, uh, and and a number of other organizations have done a lot of things. We've combined quite a few resources into this uh, into this ecosystem and those continue to be put in uh, even to this day yeah no so the what about the participants
2: what, what were their characteristics what were some of the uh, uh, how did you evaluate the characteristics of the participants
1: yeah and as we said there's a lot of different organizations yeah. that contribute to that um, and it's a lot of developers but we'll also find that it's not just developers but we have a number of other private vendors there's a Uh, There's a number of independent consultants that work on things. There are some people in other countries that do things such as just um, customizing for language, or they do a number of other things associated with the software as well. Um, There's a number of pieces and parts that are slowly added on that they've included for that. Um, We've we've talked about the various government agencies. We've talked about uh, commercial entities like uh, WorldVista and DSS and MedSphere, uh, there's a number of things that they do, and there's also uh, a number of officials within the VA who are just prom- uh, responsible for promoting it. They do a lot of good stuff with that. So um, so they they not only participate, but there's a certain level of involvement, and it, it varies um, based on um, what each agency may want to do. We have a number of individual hospitals, even. There's a, a hospital out in California, Oroville, that's been responsible for putting a number of uh, the uh, innovations and enhancements that they've put uh, into their version of the Vista software, their implementation, they put those back into the open source domain, so others can uh, use that in other sites as well. Uh, and it just depends a lot on what their what their level of involvement, their commitment is. I mean, different organizations have done different things. Some people use the software and that's it. Then a number of people are very active in contributing back, so it it varies. But we have people that do that in in in. Uh, quite a wide range of uh, organizations and individuals. And what
2: about, I mean, you, you, you assessed uh, the relationship among members. Can you give us insights into that?
1: Yeah, and one of the good things about open innovation and open source in general that it really thrives on having a certain degree of trust, certain a certain degree of, of collaboration. And they do a very, they being, uh, Vista members do a very good job of doing that. They um, contribute very freely. Now, there's there's obviously a number of issues involved in that because when you think about it, The private organizations like Meds Free and Vista were responsible for taking this version of the software and customizing it for their own commercial use. So what incentive do they have to contribute things back? So there's a little bit of uncertainty at one point, but I think a lot of this is starting to get uh, ironed out. So there's there's still a certain degree of trust involved in it, but the relationships are getting stronger. I mean, it's a pretty radical plan to say that we're going to take your commercial product. And we're going to open source it, so not only can uh, people within the VA use it, but your competitors will have access to some of the same stuff. So it's not necessarily the same model that they were used to. So this is a pretty dramatic learning curve. So they're they're getting there. They're getting a lot of this, and so the the commitment in some of the conflict resolution, which a lot of that is under the auspices of Osera. So there's um, there is some some learning that has to be done uh, on all parties but they they're working their way through that. So the relationships are are pretty good at this point I would say. But you guys do a great
2: make a great point that this um, the ecosystem the open invitation and the technological ecosystem doesn't happen in a vacuum. And you know you have to be aware of the environment in which you're operating in. What are some of the most significant environmental issues facing the VA ecosystem,
1: the VISTA ecosystem? Yeah, well, one of the biggest issues, obviously, is just what you would normally expect out of working with a a large government agency. Um, The VA is uh, very policy-driven. Some would say bureaucratic. Uh, They have rules and structures for how things have to be done, and that uh, introduces a number of things that others have to work with. If you're trying to get a piece of software that's input into the VA, for instance, uh, there are a number of rules um, which the VA has to follow for trying to put the software in. And it's it's just a matter of time. It's just one of those things that it happens. It'll happen over time. But um, you have to be patient enough to watch some of those go through. But that's just part of the environment that you're working in. Other things happen, such as I'm sure you remember the VA had some, some issues back several months ago about uh, scheduling issues. Yeah. So a lot of that falls in as well. You have to be cognizant of the fact that a number of these changes are, in fact, uh, possibly going to impact some of the things that you might do within uh, the integration of the VISTA code as well. So there are just a number of things that happen outside that are part of it. And again, you can't change them necessarily, but you certainly have to learn how to work with them and work around them. Uh, And again, learning is, is part of it. And that's one of the things I think that OSERA is having to learn to do and the VA is learning and the vendors and everyone else is learning how, when we contribute things, what do we get out of it and what's the impact of all of these other policy issues and the rules and regulation that we have to deal with. So, Renee, I'd like to discuss the second case study you did for your IBM Center report on
2: West Virginia's Department of Health and Human Resources joining an open innovation ecosystem. Uh, could you give us some background and context as to this case study? Uh, more particularly, what are the objectives of its Bureau for Behavioral Health and Health Facilities? Why did they go in this direction?
0: Right. Um, so, you know, just kind of a, a quick little background about who they are and yeah. what they do. They, they have seven... Facilities in which, you know, which cover between acute care for um, state-operated acute care hospital, acute care psychiatric hospitals, and long-term care facilities. And so they are really trying to make sure that they address several issues from outpatient clinics to emergency care to ancillary services and, um, so they're, they're really providing quite a bit for the community that's there. Um, you know, they're, they're a lo- fairly large facility with over 800 beds um, and, and, and a number thousands of employees. So what they're really, their objective was to how do they improve their efficiency and effectiveness? Um, and so in particular, can they automate some of the services that they're currently providing? So improving their automation, um, defining and implementing standardized processes, and then overall just kind of figuring out a way to centralize um, and create more common and unified healthcare system across a scale so these were their objectives and how they were going to move forward with this was going to be very critical to them um, and, and how they leverage technology to allow them to improve upon these uh, efficiencies and effectiveness.
2: So would you give us a, an overview of your evaluation of the West Virginia case study uh, based on those five key elements you, we've identified and discussed earlier? And um, what findings have you drawn from this evaluation?
0: Um, so we'll go ahead and start with resources. And in resources in particular, what they're, the goal here is that we want to uh, – You know, expand and assist individuals. So, we want to make sure that they have all the financial resources that they need. Um, And what's interesting about open innovation is that you don't need a lot of resources in order to start. So, it can be a relatively low hurdle many times. In this case, actually in West Virginia, they actually went ahead and they had substantial resources that they wanted to implement. And part of this was due to changing of infrastructure, um, making sure they had all the policies and procedures in place that they needed in order to move forward. So for in their case, they actually had a lot to bring to the table, um, but it's not always necessary. What
2: were some of the hurdles they faced?
0: So some of the hurdles in particular were definitely one uh, financial. When you start to look at a system like an EHR, um, especially even in, in an open EHR format, you have a situation of funding. Uh, so this is quite an expensive venture, especially when you go in a commercial market. And so first, looking at a commercial market, the amount of money that they would have to spend, they just really, as a government agency um, and, and as a organization that needs to pay attention to financial needs, this was not something that was going to be an easy process. The current system in place was a bit dated. It definitely needed a more robust system in place in order to provide Uh, electronic sharing and more of a unified healthcare system. So that was going to be necessary for them as well. And so this is what they did was they actually found that looking into open source systems was actually going to be a more preferred option over the commercial or proprietary formats that
2: are uh, available. Yeah. yeah. And so they joined the, this open, the open innovation ecosystem. Um, What were some of the beneficial characteristics of the ecosystem members uh, they They were dealing with.
0: So some of their benefits was they really took to getting to know each other. they They did a very good job of interacting with um, MedSphere. And um, and and the op- open source community and trying to share and so they did things where they actually got to know each other, spent time at each other's homes from time to time. Oh, really? um, they established local local bonds, which was really important. Um, they understood that they needed to share the roles and what they did. So, for example, MedSpare provided much of the training that was delivered to the staff, um, as well as the staff provided uh, information for MADSphere and while they worked with other um, outside members to get the process going and moving forward. So that was really critical for them. They also had formed committees that were designed to formalize the interactions between the hospitals and their remainder of the ecosystem. So again, if you're thinking about this as seven hospitals that are having to work and facilitate each other, so they have to really open up and share communication.
2: So how would you assess the relationship among members in the ecosystem, And to what extent is a key attribute of the ecosystem active engagement? What did you folks mean by active engagement?
0: So when we talked about active engagement, we really talked about how do they complement each other? So in particular, um, a complement of MedSphere and West Virginia and the state or that they incorporated a communication plan. So they actively decided that we know we need to share a certain amount of information. We need to be able to talk with each other regularly. Um, we need to feel comfortable and in an environment in which we would encourage strategic and t- tactical information being shared. And so many times when we see organizations and they are having to communicate um, beyond their internal walls and externally, a lot of times it becomes a problem to share information. There is a concern that maybe. Uh, This information is uh, essential to our growth. And by no means are we suggesting that you should share information that creates a competitive advantage, but you should be sharing information that's going to allow you both to grow strategically and tactically in the process.
2: And much like the VA case study, you assess the external environment uh, for the West Virginia case study. What was that like?
0: So it was actually it was it was fairly interesting. Um, In in this case, I would honestly say again, when you're dealing with policies, um, as as Donald had mentioned earlier, some forms of bureaucracy, there can be opportunities where individuals may not perceive sharing of information and and contributions to having to retain information to be very positive. Um, And so many times, you'll see that the employees and other individuals will feel as though the organization may not appreciate them because they are requesting them to kind of hold back and and not share and and, and don't adopt viable solutions for that community to actually communicate back and forth. Um, And so I think that's one of the key things is that really understanding how those policies and regulations share and use information within the external environment is critical to the success of the open innovation
2: What are some of the best practices for seeking to capitalize on open innovation? We will explore this question and so much more when our special edition of the Business of Government Hour, A Conversation with Authors, returns. In a world inundated with all kinds of information, timely, relevant, and more predictive data can drive better decision-making Law enforcement agencies are at the forefront in leveraging data and using innovative software to generate predictions that help police prevent crime. What is predictive policing? How can using analytics make us safer? Check out the IBM Center report, Predictive Policing, Preventing Crime with Data and Analytics by Jen Bochner, and find out. Download your free copy at businessofgovernment.org. What do agency leaders need to know about the federal acquisition process? What are some of the key federal procurement trends? And how can agency leaders overcome today's acquisition challenges? Check out the new center report, A Guide for Agency Leaders on Federal Acquisition, by Trevor Brown and find out. The report offers practical recommendations for improving federal acquisition. Download your free copy of A Guide for Agency Leaders on Federal Acquisition at businessofgovernment.org and find out how the business of government is not business as usual. Welcome back to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors, exploring ideas for improving government effectiveness, with Donald Wynn and Renee Pratt, authors of the IBM Center Report, Making Open Innovation Ecosystems Work Case Studies in Healthcare. So, uh, Renee and Donald, uh, based on your study uh, of the two ecosystems, the VA and the West Virginia case studies, you outline in your report for the IBM Center. You identified 10 best practices uh, for organizations who are seeking to capture uh, significant return on investment from sponsoring innovation through the technological ecosystems. Uh, I'd like to sort of uh, unwrap each one of these and do it based on the five elements. So would you elaborate on the three best practices you identified under
1: the first element uh, in your evaluation criteria, resources? Okay, Sure. There's, as you said, there's three that we looked at under resources. And the the interesting thing about it is a lot of times these sort of overlap. Uh, They're not necessarily as cleanly put under just resources, as you'll you'll see. But uh, the first one of the resources is defining the clear goals and objectives for innovation. Uh, We do that because you really have to have a clear idea of what you expect to get in return. What are you going to contribute to that? I mean, all of us, uh, whether individuals or organizations, like to have an idea for uh, what to expect, and you know we need to understand what is it that, if I contribute a certain set of resources, what do I get in return? We also need to have a better idea for what projects and practices are we're going to include uh, i 've seen a study recently that says that large organizations usually don 't do well sponsoring more than three or four open innovation projects, and that would seem to be the case you wouldn 't necessarily want to sponsor anything too large because it, it ends up pulling in way too many folks. so you really have to have a clear idea for what it is you 're contributing to how much you're contributing, what you're expecting to get back and and sort of what you expect to um, what you expect to get in. It's also important to make sure that everybody understands that whatever we're doing, the goal is maximizing this return on investment. Whether it's a tangible or an intangible return, we need to make sure that we're getting out of it what we want. If that's an improved innovation process or a better product or uh, more complementary services around the product, we need to have a really good understanding for what we're contributing and where it's going and what is it, what we expect it to do uh, as part of this process. The second one is just to manage and monitor the resource flows across the boundaries. Uh, what are we contributing again and, and how are we contributing it? Uh, and making sure that in some cases it's not so much the amount that we're contributing that the quality of the resources, again, that are uh, going in and coming out. Um, either way, so this shouldn't be done haphazardly. It needs to be part of an organized plan. Uh, Not a surprise for government agencies that really want to make sure we control things. But we do need to, whereas we're we're sort of relinquishing some part of control, we still need to have a good understanding for what it is that we are uh, allowing to flow in and coming back. And um, that includes monitoring, you know, again, the quality and amount of the ideas, information, knowledge, and even the funding that goes across in both directions. And thirdly is the idea of intellectual property rights. Because uh, we we have to make sure that, A, we're not contributing anything that um, we don't have permission to contribute and not that we're giving away the crown jewels as well. Um, and the same thing, we need to make sure that we're not getting anything in that compromises whatever we have inside. Open source has a number of licenses associated with it such that, um, in, in a simplified explanation, if I attach this open source code to something that we've done in-house, then everything that it touches is open source. So then because it then because of that we've essentially made some of our proprietary software open. We have to be really careful in making sure that we don't do that. Um and it also helps sometimes to donate some of our intellectual property. Uh IBM as an organization did just that. They released a number of software patents uh to the open source community about 10 years ago. And in so doing, um, encouraged a number of additional innovations, uh, which they put back in their processes. Um, So it worked out very well for them.
2: So one of the best indicators of a growing resilient ecosystem is an increase in the diversity of participants. Uh, Renee, what are some of the best uh, practices you've crafted under participant characteristics? So specifically
0: under participant characteristics, it's focusing on not just, it's focusing on the number of individuals that are involved. But it doesn't have to necessarily be a large group. It can be a small group as well. The key behind the group is how well they participate, the level, and the amount of diversity behind it. Um, Usually when a group is larger, you do have the capability of having different thoughts. Um, You prevent group think. And, And so this is what we're hoping to achieve through a diverse group. In addition... What you're really trying to understand is how much participation they have. You don't want individuals who are just kind of skating by. A lot of times we also focus on things like the side conversations that occur during the process and what exactly is being said, what's being shared. This also has an impact on how well and how much information is being shared.
2: And and you do in your report, uh, you you counsel agency leaders uh, to be careful uh, to build and maintain relationships that will enable them to achieve a desired outcome if they're going to participate in, in a technological ecosystem for open source innovation. I'd be interested, what are
1: some of the best practices you outline for relationships among members? Okay, so keep in mind that one of the things that we talked about, or some of the things we talked about with respect to relationships would be uh, not just that there are relationships, but the quality of the relationship, which would be things such as uh, trust, respect, and conflict management—things of that sort. So, two of the things that we looked at uh, are related to those things. With the first being establishing um, effective positioning. Where do you want to position yourself in the ecosystem? And is it—it's uh, good. It's good sometimes to be at the center. It's good to be in control and and in charge. But if you are doing so, you have to make sure that uh, everyone that you're working with. Uh, is going to be agreeable to working with you in those cases. There's a number of things that you have to be aware of, it, that some members are only able to do small niches. They can't be in, in the lead, but they still expect to get some benefit out of it. You need to make sure that if that's the role that they take, if that's the positioning, then they're able to get out of it the resources or the appropriations that they wanted in return. Because otherwise, you know, it, it sort of falls apart. If you know, you're not getting what you want out of it, you leave. And if you leave, then slowly things start to fall apart, so it just doesn't doesn't work as well. Second is being an active team player, um, and that includes doing things like um, making sure that you participate, making sure that you take advantage of these relationships. You have them, you you should actually use them to do the things that you're supposed to do and not uh, do things such as free riding, which, you know, a number of people do. And again, this sort of bleeds over into uh, some of the organizations, some of the other characteristics that we were talking about. Right. Yeah, it does bleed over into a lot of that, but a lot of the, it, it really matters to us whether or not you know, you're actually participating, not just the agency itself, but some of the other players because they have key parts. Otherwise, it really wouldn't make sense to work with or make it open to all of these other members if you really didn't care how much they're contributing and what they are intending to participate and do in their activity. You could just make point-to-point relationships with other agencies. So by making it open, you want everyone to be an active player in this to, to whatever level that they feel comfortable, to whatever level they feel like they can trust the relationship with the other members. That's what you want them to do. You want them to actually go in and, and actually participate to that level.
2: And these members, as you point out throughout the report, are operating within a certain ecosystem, an organization. Uh, so you know, it would fall apart if it didn't have the right governance structure. Uh, aside from the uh, relationships with members. So what are some of the best, key best practices you folks identified under, say, the ecosystem organization? How best to organize these ecosystems?
0: So the best way to organize is by the usage and establishing uh, effective governance, right? Um, And so uh, we see this among many organizations in, in business and establishing a governance which allows you to inform who's, participating, how they're participating, who's in charge of information or not in charge of information, these are crucial to being able to be successful within the system, within this ecosystem. And what's important about an open environment is that not that you have someone specifically who is in charge and does all the the leadership roles, but is actually, instead of acting more like a bully, but is actually more on a sharing base in which everyone has a part, everyone is involved in the process. And so part of this, the way you establish and set your governance for an open innovation is that everyone is involved in this process. It's a shared manner. So everyone gets an opportunity to evaluate what's the formal and informal governance that's already in existence. So it's really critical that each group that's involved examines their own current governance and with that in mind, then creates a new set of governance that will really allow them to share across uh, the, the different groups. Secondly, is to encourage openness and transparency. And so, again, kind of in line with this governance and being able to see what the rules and policies and regulations are as to how you address certain situations that come up. It's also having access to the information, access to others' ideas and concepts um, and suggestions. And so having this open and transparent action allows individuals to really see what's going on um, and how it's working. And again, As I kind of mentioned earlier about the proprietary issues and competitive advantage, we're not saying that people have to share information that's going to uh, create a unique competitive advantage to that organization or facility, but that they should be sharing and they should be open. To What's happening both internally and externally with each other?
2: And you folks point out that the existence of constraints, whether it's financial, what have you, uh, have been identified as having a positive influence on the creative process. So this is where I'm going is how do you handle the external environments in which these ecosystems operate and What are some of the best practices you've identified?
1: In the report, we identified two uh one being to main to minimize the friction in bureaucracy. The constraints are good in some cases, but in other cases, like you said, they just sort of stifle everything out. It just depends. It depends on how we how you manage them. uh Bureaucracy as a whole has a tendency to both encourage things, but in most cases it tends to uh, tends to choke some things out so it, it's an effort of trying to maintain what you can but challenge those things. That's part of creativity is challenge the assumptions that you don't think you can live with. So if there are uh, some of the assumptions, habits, and rules that exist, which um, mean that we can't see things the way that we think we should, or we cannot necessarily integrate some of the innovations in, those are the things we need to challenge and minimize some of the friction between um, the way things are and the way they should be, if you want to call it that way. Uh, it's, It's a way to deal with it. Otherwise, it's impossible to capitalize on a lot of the knowledge that exists outside if we can't bring it in, if we can't use it because there's a set of habits or policies that you know allow us not to use them, you know, like the, the not invented here syndrome. If we have a lot of that that goes on, and we'll, we'll never be able to incorporate a lot of that stuff. Uh, and the second is really just to monitor the external conditions. You have to really be aware of what's going on. Both of the case studies did a really good job of doing that. I mean, the VA um, especially has this uh, community meeting that they have twice a year, Where a lot of the people, I mean, a lot of the participants from various organizations and agencies and uh, and indeed some independent consultants come together to talk about a lot of the issues and more or less have a meeting of the minds. And in so doing, they're able to not only talk about things internal to the VISTA community, but they're also able to talk about some of the things that may be external to that. Uh, For instance, this conversion that's going over from ICD-9 to ICD-10 coding is going on as we speak. Um, And it'll be going on for years probably uh, within the industry. And that's going to have an impact on a number of things related to EHRs. And that's just one of the things that they're going to have to pay attention to and be able to modify their practices and the code and some of the data within the system uh, to try to manage it accordingly. So those are just two of the things, just minimizing the uh, friction and being aware of some of the things externally. Um, If you're going to adapt to things, you really have to be able to. Um, be aware of them in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and your
2: report, um, although it just uh, it studies two open source software ecosystems, I'd be interested, uh, could you elaborate on how applicable many of these issues and practices are across a wide range of industries? Where else can you see this?
1: Yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to apply just to government agencies. Uh, as we said, open innovation has been touted more for private industry than it was for public. It It's applicable to both. For sure. But a number of the things that we're talking about here and even some of the talk about uh, technological ecosystems uh, are applicable to private industries, government agencies, uh, nonprofits, for profits. It really doesn't necessarily restrict itself to any one type of organization. So a lot of this stuff is still going to be part of any organization that's seeking to do open innovation. So, for instance, managing intellectual property rights is not something that's a, a government agency thing. Uh, diversity among the participants doesn't necessarily um, uh, position itself for either side, um, being in, engaged, being active parts of the the um, team. All of those are things that would exist whether or not we're talking about something with public or private agencies or whoever else. So it's applicable across a wide range. And it doesn't even have to be just software uh, because we've, again, to GE's doing, doing a lot of this with uh, aircraft engines and environmental concerns. So it really doesn't lend itself to a particular type of innovation or type of organization, it is more involved with the fact that we have this group of people that are coming together to work on an innovation in some area, Mm -hmm. but most of these issues are not um, in any way restricted to a given area. Mm -hmm. It's still having to understand what is the goal, what's the objective, how do we manage the resource flows, how do we deal with uh, the intellectual property rights and the participants and the relationships and the organization and the environment. How do we deal with all of those things, regardless of what the innovation or what the uh, organizational structure or our profit status is?
2: And I want to ask you both, what made you choose this topic for research and, and how did you conduct your research? Renee, would you like to start off?
0: Well, you know, we actually decided to look at this area in particular. Um, the, the three of us have different aspects and different areas of interest uh, within enterprise systems, within uh, open innovation trying to see how we're going to actually be able to do some things, not only within the academic research community and the practitioners community and how we can get both sides to share information and and really move beyond that. Uh, So exploring innovation or exploring open innovation for us, I think was partially an opportunity to examine the ecosystem and all the different parts that explore the area when you're developing or you're implementing a system. Uh, I think many times, we tend to spend time focusing only on the implementation side or we don't look enough at the post-adoption or we focus too much only on the strategic and and, uh, tactical side. And I think this was an opportunity to really see how all parts are working together at multiple levels, so whether it be at the organizational level, the individual level, or even at team levels, and really get an opportunity to explore what's being done correctly And how can we help others do things even better?
1: Yeah, see, the three of us have very complementary skills. I mean, Randy tends to focus a lot on uh, some of the strategic aspects of using EHRs. Uh, Renee tends to look a lot at the individual aspects and a number of other things as well. And my area tends to be more looking at ecosystem, which is a a larger level still. Uh, So the three of us combined with, with the common denominator, we've been working on a lot of EHR stuff uh, for the last few years. So within that, we'd already done a number of interviews. Uh, I think Renee had mentioned we had done a number of interviews with a number of these folks uh, related to different projects. And as a result, we were able to take some of the things we already knew and combine it with some some new, interv- you know, new interviews and uh, some additional rounds of data to, to put these two case studies together. Uh, and it just sort of came together that that, um, as, as it says, some of the the practices that we've identified here were things that just leaped out of, at us by looking at the cases. So as we close today's conversation, what's next for this topic, or uh, what does the future look like in this area? What's your what's on your horizons in terms of study? Well, even looking at this area, there's a, a number of other agencies that are doing similar things. I mean, West Virginia is not the only state that was deploying a a large multi-site uh, open source EHR. Uh, North Carolina has put one hospital in, as far as we know. Um, last time we talked to them, it was one, but I know they're attempting to uh, expand beyond that. And there's a couple of other states that are also trying to put in uh, Vista-based um, EHR systems or networks within a given state. And probably will be a few others as they start to look at some of the cost effects. So we can look at even that side. And then there's still another uh, a number of other agencies within the federal government, even within some states, that are really trying to focus on their innovation. Um, HHS is trying to look at some things with innovation, and the FDA is looking at some things, and the president has, uh, the I mean, the executive branch has the Presidential Innovation Fellows. Mm -hmm. And I know that they're involved in things such as Blue Button and a number of other topics where they're attempting to combine some innovation from outside the federal government and use it to bring to bear on some things that may make uh, the government work more efficiently or provide some services to citizens that may not have otherwise existed. So it's a, it's a warm enough topic that we can probably stay here for a little bit, even with some of the other things that we are doing. I think Renee alluded to the fact that we do research on EHRs in some other countries. Uh, most notably, we've been gathering some case study information on hospitals in uh, Great Britain and Ireland, uh, some in Germany, and looking to expand to yet a few other places, um, not just because we have some things that we can learn from them, but some things that we can learn from the U.S. that we may be able to apply to some of the things that they do. So, Donald,
2: thank you for joining me in studio. And, Renee, thank you for your time and joining us via Skype. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks very much for, uh, very for having much. us. This has been a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors, exploring ideas for improving government effectiveness with Donald Wynn and Renee Pratt, authors of the IBM Center Report Making Open Innovation Ecosystems Work, Case Studies in Healthcare. This report continues the IBM Center's long interest in innovation as a key tool for government organizations to improve the creation of new services and improve existing services to the public. You may order or download a free copy of this or any IBM Center report at businessofgovernment.org. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government effectiveness. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us.
1: This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org. What is the What Works Clearinghouse, and how does the National Center for Education Evaluation and Regional Assistance within the U.S. Department of Education ensure the widespread dissemination of its research findings? Join host Michael Keegan as he explores these questions and much more with Joy Lesnick, the Acting Commissioner NCEE within the U.S. Department of Education. Tune in on Mondays at 11 for the Business of Government Hour on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m.